0: Hello, and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast, where we dive into the good, the not-so-good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. We're here today to learn about each of my guests' unique journeys, from their wins to their darkest hours, and all of the dramatic moments in between. So grab a drink, snacks, or whatever, and get comfy, because today we have as my guest Veronica Taylor. Best known as Ash Ketchum from Pokemon, she has also voiced many beloved anime and cartoon characters, such as April O'Neil in Ninja Turtles, Sailor Moon's Sailor Pluto, as well as Ribian and Berry Blue in Dragon Ball Super, just to name a few. Veronica, welcome to the show. I am so excited because Veronica and I have worked together, but not for many, many years. A long time. A long time. Mm. And actually, we are sitting in the same room together for the first time in over a decade. Do you think it's that long? Well, at least. Okay, well, at nine, least eight, eight years. years. At least Yikes. Yikes. But we used to work
1: together in the booth all the time. Yes. And then
0: many, many people on one mic. Yes. Exactly.
1: (laughs) That's how we, that's our technique.
0: Today we have two mics. And then we would just sort of like step to the side very quietly and go sit in the chair in the back of the booth. Mm -hmm. And at the time, maybe read a book. (laughs) Book, newspapers. Newspaper. Mm -hmm. Now that takes a special skill because if you think about it, now we're all on tablets and phones. Right. And actually, we don't really do multiple people in a booth. Thank you to the pandemic, but multiple people in a booth regardless. That's right. And then now if we had four or five chairs in here and four or five people, if it wasn't our turn to be up at the mic, we would sit down and we would just jump right on our phone. But that takes a special skill to like fold a newspaper quietly or flip a New Yorker magazine without making a sound. That's
1: right. And we could also do that because remember our scripts were paper so we would line them up you'd have if it was a four pieces of paper for the scene and we'd have one person holding on each side and then slowly move it out of the way and all we all had our style. So for our listeners paper
0: is something (laughs) that we used to use and we would be able to write on. Yeah. And make notes. Make notes on. And it would come out of a thing called a printer. Yes. <laughs> and there was a
1: pause because the printer was broken or there was always something. Right. And then we went to tablets. That was a huge deal. Huge deal. Yeah.
0: And now my eyes are shot because all I do is look at I know, the blue screen I know, all day. Oh, I the know. days of paper. I well, know. Welcome to the podcast. I remember
1: Kathleen. when we were making paper. Oh. In the well, press. Welcome to
0: the podcast, Veronica. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so here at the Totally Badass and Dramatic Podcast, mm-hmm. the reason why we are sitting across from each other today is because... I'm on a quest, and the quest is to talk about with women specifically, women in the world of acting, voiceover, commercials, um, theater, film, TV. Where did you get your start? Let's talk about your journey, and let's be real about the ups and downs of this glamorous, yeah, <laughs> so glamorous, <laughs> glamorous on paper career as we begin tell me the very beginning of veronica taylor's journey and how did you get started like where'd you first get the bug
1: i was in a play when i was five i played goldilocks in goldilocks and the three bears and i
0: that's so cute yeah i know it
1: was actually was really cute the uh The part where Goldilocks, the chair falls, you know, where she's she's trying one chair is too soft, one's too hard. And then this one was just right, but then it breaks. Okay. Um, I remember when I was five thinking, hold for the laugh. And then at that same time, I realized this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. Uh And so from that moment on, I was in all my school plays. Gosh, I went to college. I have a BA in acting, and I went to grad school. I have a master's, an MFA for acting. acting. Mm -hmm. Um, In between that, I toured the country with a couple acting
0: companies. That's Um, incredible. Where did you go to grad school?
1: I I went to Brandeis. I went to Catholic U undergrad, Brandeis for grad school.
0: So when you got... Bitten by the actor bug at age five, as Goldilocks, yeah. as we all do. Yeah. And then you, you know, cut to undergrad and you're doing sort of your requisite undergrad studies and your, you know, occasional theater theater minor or was it theater, theater major? major.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. I went to Catholic because they had, they didn't have a dance program, but it was kind of there. And they had a soccer team, even though when I first started there, it was a club team. Mm-hmm. And then we became varsity while I was there. So I did all of that stuff all together.
0: Wow. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah.
1: But you know, theater is like athletics. You know, you, you need your audience. You put yourself through your paces. You have your bits that you do, your part that you play on the team. It's all the same. I guess with theater, with any kind of acting, you're talking and listening, Mm -hmm. and when you're on a team, you still have to, you're not necessarily talking and listening, but you have to work with the team to figure out how you all fit together. So it's, it's all of it is so active. You're never alone. Even when you're doing a one-man show, you're still not alone. Right. You know, so even when you're playing tennis. I've heard that analogy before, and I love it. Yeah, but, I mean, even tennis, you're alone, but you're still part of something bigger. The Mm -hmm. audience is a part of it. Right. How you play, how they react, all of that for sports, for theater. Huh. You're constantly challenging yourself. Yeah. And training, in a way, helps you understand how to challenge yourself or that it's important, I think. Oh. You know?
0: Yeah. You're absolutely right. And as you were in your MFA program, your graduate program, what were the things that stuck out to you that sort of made you feel as if, okay, here I am in this graduate program. I'm in this for the long haul. And you're in the training and you're in the eight to 12 hour days and then you're going to rehearsal at night or you're laying on the floor and you're doing all these like breathing exercises (laughs) and then like, you know, a nice big group hug at the end of the thing and you're, you know, all the emotions that get thrown against the wall and your vocal exercises and the, you know, whatever it is, Alexander technique and, you know, you come out of that two-year program and, you know, now looking back, you can say, well, yes, I, I have these lessons that I've learned from all of this uh, training, and mm-hmm. and I apply it. It's applicable everywhere. It's applicable to the tour that I went on right afterwards, or it's applicable to this other job that I had, or to my personal relationships and life in general. But when you graduated from that MFA program, what was that like? You are in this schooling, and you finish, and you're like, and I'm ready, world. Yeah. <laughs> I am ready to be seen as an actor. Like, where did, what was the next step? Where did you go right after that?
1: When I was in grad school, I actually did a staged, it was a radio play for WGBH with Julie uh. Harris
0: oh, and Alan wow.
1: Rachins and Claire Bloom. It was really an incredible. Just an incredible moment to be part of that. I had a small role in Some Americans Abroad, it was called. And it was great. And I felt like, man, I've made it. Like, I am on my way. Yep. And then nothing happens. And then I did get a job in Summerstock right when I
0: graduated. So tell our listeners, if you don't mind, can you explain what summer stock is?
1: Yes. So that summer stock, I think, was two-week rehearsal Two week show, but oftentimes summer stock obviously is in the summer
0: mm-hmm.
1: in small theaters all across the country, and uh, I did another one in Maine mm-hmm. that was one week rehearsal, one week show. Wow! But while you were you rehearsed during the day for the next show, and then you were doing the previous one the night that night. So yeah. show A you would rehearse for the week, and then the next week you would rehearse show B and do show A at night.
0: So it's really a way to cut your teeth. Yeah. In yeah. in the American theater. And and yeah. it, I think it's such a fantastic way for young actors or actors of any anyone. age, yeah. anyone, to really dive in to the sort of <laughs> to sort of like the American canon of theater yeah. and to learn how to Rehearse during the day and go in at night, and you're playing. You're playing uh, the lead one week, and then you know night number three the mm-hmm, next week, mm-hmm. and just being surrounded by all of these actors and um, all of the people who work backstage, and yeah, it's really a special, fantastic time.
1: Yeah, and you have to just dive in to make a commitment on your choices. Mm -hmm. You have to memorize. I mean, a lot of your time is spent memorizing. Yeah. And then, but when you're exercising that muscle, you can do it. I think about that all the time because I haven't had to memorize anything for a while. Right. Because everything
0: is for voiceover is in
1: front of you. Yeah. You're still making split second decisions on things, but for a play... You, I mean, you really have to memorize what you're going to say and then figure out how to make it sound like you didn't memorize it and then how to interact and relate to whatever the person is giving you in case they don't give you the right line. How do you then work around? You know, like all of that stuff yeah. in the moment. I do miss that.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think you never feel more alive than you do when you're on yeah. stage because yeah. there's no planning for it. Yeah, that's right. So it's the same thing as being on the soccer field. Mm-hmm. You can practice that pass as much as you want, but then if something doesn't go, you know, if you get blocked in a different way, you have to stay in that moment. It's the same thing. Absolutely. On stage, you can practice. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, the way that you were going to say a line. Right. But that won't actually assist you in that moment. It it will only sort of hinder you um, and make you think that that's the way that it needs to go instead of being in the now of now. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real thing. So you, you're you doing summer stock and— um, First of all, you graduate grad school, and I recognize this feeling as well. And you're like, I have arrived. And then you don't work. nothing happens. Nothing happens. So when did, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you get those family members, et cetera, with, you know, concerning looks of, oh, you're going to be an actor. Well, maybe My
1: family, I come from a family of actors, so they've always been supportive, but they've never pushed me toward being an actor because no one ever would do that. Right. (laughs) Because there's just no security in it. There's none. But it is... I guess, I don't know, once you make the choice, what else, there's nothing else to do, Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's hard to really explain. I mean, there's nothing better than just being a character. There's nothing better, regardless of what, what genre or format it is, there's just nothing better than acting.
0: Right. Oh, and let's talk about that for a second, Veronica, because you went to undergrad, and then you went to Brandeis for acting, and then you had this amazing experience and training doing summer stock and this love of theater, and you come from a theater background, and you come from a family who loves and works professionally in theater. In addition, you have forged an incredible career in voiceover. So can you talk about that moment when you're like, this is it, no matter what happens, this is the career choice for me. But can you talk about that moment when you knew that there was also this other realm of the business that you started to move into?
1: Yeah, I think it kind of found me, really. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the jobs I had once I moved to New York was in the Batman stunt show at Six Flags Great Adventure. And in that show, I played Chase Meridian and Spice, and Chase Meridian was also the MC for the show. So I would come out as Chase, and you kind of prime the audience and get audience participation, and then I run back and we start the show, uh-huh. and there's voiceover. So when you are in the show, nobody speaks. They just mouth the words, and I got to do the female voices for the show and then that was my first kind of paying voiceover job and that went to all the other Six Flags parks so that kind of found me and then I was uh, I don't know I went to my acting coach to work on a monologue Mm -hmm. and it turned out that that day somebody called him and said can you I'm I'm auditioning people for some anime can you recommend anyone and I he said, oh, yeah, call her because I had just been in. Mm-hmm. So that's just coincidental, you know. So yeah. many things are that way, that you just are in the right place at the right time. And then I auditioned, and I got cast in that. And then they said, can you audition for this? And then, you know, things just kind of found their way. Right. And was
0: that Pokemon?
1: Uh, just some other anime. And then I worked on something called Slayers mm-hmm. that um a lot of— us on Slayers also auditioned for Pokemon, and then and then that led that. that led to yeah whatever. that was with four kids and four kids then acquired more uh, projects more shows and then I auditioned for those and I got cast in a lot of those that ended up being Saturday morning cartoons wow
0: so and then yeah. that so and that was Ninja Turtles yes yeah Saturday so morning. we did
1: at that time was. Um, uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Cubics, Ninja Turtles came in two thousand three. We did Shaman King, Fighting Foodons, um, wow. I don't Ultimate Muscle, uh, Funky Cops. There were so many, so many cartoons, and um, so like playing again, playing small parts, big parts. Yeah, you know, all different being things. being part of the team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that I think, too, that when you're working, as we all know, you know, when you get to the booth, you put on your headphones, you know how far to stand from the microphone, you know, kind of what you're doing. So you can just get in that role to audition or to do the part. Um, You know, you kind of play the part of an actor and then you just go in and do your thing.
0: Right. And you don't have to worry about the technicality of it all because the groundwork for that has already been laid. Right. And then you can just put the character hat on and dive yeah, right and in. Yeah, and figure
1: out because it's always, you know, with voiceover, everyone, when you're doing character things, it's always, oh, can you do this accent? Oh, can you do a, a five-year-old? Can you do a 90-year-old? can you And then you just do it. Yeah. It's the greatest challenge and so incredibly fun, so difficult, but really, really rewarding.
0: Yeah, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I know. I would I know. say. I would say that it, it it's just it, so great. Yeah, because <laughs> then you really get to act. You know. Yeah, it's so I don't because know. there are so many jobs within. Oh, I think theater as well, and and commercials, and also, um, and voiceover. That sometimes they're not really exercising the acting muscle. No, they're more. Um, very dry dry mm. yeah that's a good word but you but when you
1: kind of figure out even in those tiny dry moments when you can think who's going to be listening to this who who am i talking to who am i as the narrator and you can put that tiny spin on it that makes your soul feel a little bit better.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. So when, um, you know, it seems as if it kind of just hit the ground running, but when did the reality of your career choice really hit you? Like early on, did you have any of those major pivotal moments of despair? Like, oh my, what have I, what have I done? Will I ever work again?
1: I have those every day. Oh yes. Every day. Welcome. Because, you know, that we audition for so many things and we don't get so many things. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, I think every day I might never work again. Mm -hmm. I just, it doesn't really matter how much you've done. It's like you're only as good as your next job, you know? I did think when I was graduating from grad school, should I have contemplated any other career. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then I find that it was just too late. You're like, I oh, I loans. got the diploma out, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I have just, student I'll loans. It. I have to pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how to go back to that just for a moment, how do you handle that mental state of constant rejection? Do you have any specific things that you do personally, or is it just sort of a lifetime of rejection, yeah. Monica. <laughs> no? yeah. yeah, a lifetime of rejection. That sort of, when the hits come, they just don't hurt as much anymore, or do they? And then, what do you do when they come?
1: I I'd like to say that I have some great routine, but or I never get depressed or whatever. But I find that I have to I have to block it out mm-hmm. because there's sometimes that I just stop and go. Well, first of all wow, i I just had all those auditions, and i haven't I haven't gotten anything. yeah, and it just hits you like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And then you just have to let it go and just focus on whatever whatever you're working on or whatever you're auditioning for, or just refocus constantly thinking about your bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. I just have to go out for a like a solid walk and think like, you know what?
0: And that's very that, grounding
1: yeah except in Los Angeles not so much but <laughs> but the um they do say that when you have a problem, if you go for a walk, you can usually solve it while you're just walking along. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I just go out for a walk and just to kind of clear it out. Right. Um, I really, I don't, people always ask me, what part do you wish you had played or what do you, and oh, I, I just. it's not yours to play once you don't book it, right? That's it. I mean, that's can't, the thing. You you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. So I don't think about the audition that I didn't get until I see it on TV or, oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's right. I auditioned. For, oh, that's what they did with it. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I just try to, I think I do block it out a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's probably not the healthiest no, thing. No, no. That's what I do.
0: <laughs> I, I think,
1: um, yeah. I think that's it.
0: What are some of the other? Because you say you uh, live in Los Angeles, which is uh, has like a different energy about it. As Very does different. New York. As does you know, it, we live all over the place now because of you know. Right. In case you haven't noticed, because of the past two years. But you know, it used to be from my understanding and from my path so far, that in order to be taken seriously, you had to be in New York or you had to be in Los Angeles. And then there were sort of like subsets of within that choice, that state choice of where you would be, uh, what they were casting, where you would be taken seriously, where where you would thrive, where you would not thrive so much. But now, especially in... Well, all the way across the board, you know, all of our auditions, for the most part, are remote. And you can live anywhere you would like. Right. So um, what are the things that are your touchstones for grounding yourself? I know you say you're going to walk. I just want to touch on this one more time because I think the mental health aspect of our journeys as mm. women in this business are highly overlooked. And I, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. What are your touchstones within your your community in la
1: i feel like my community is really still in new york Mm -hmm. in new york and it's probably not the same anymore after covid but anyway the way the business has changed but i've been to a casting director in eight years twice
0: in la Mm
1: -hmm. and And here in
0: new york you were we go all the time all the time yeah yeah
1: and now auditions are at home right but at least I knew people here, yeah. or I'd come to work and work with people. In L.A., if I go to a studio, it really is just me
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the engineer, sometimes a director.
0: And studio meaning voiceover. to
1: Yeah, to right. go into one. So just
0: to explain to our listeners, I mean, this is sort of a long shot or a longer shot now, but typically L.A. was and is the place where there are, generally speaking, more TV, film, Uh, commercials. And then New York, typically, because we have the Broadway, Mm -hmm. it was always sort of the playground for everybody to come and practice being in the theater, practice, you know, being rehearsing in the theater, going to the going to the auditions in person and then being in your acting class. And then, you know, sort of having that communal theatrical uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And even in our voiceover work when we were working together, like, you know, eight or nine years ago or 10 years ago, however long it was, it was more communal. Yeah. And that— All actors. You yeah. Know, theater actors. Yes, all yeah. theater actors coming together. And we wouldn't see each other until we were, like, in the booth again. Right. And right. there are many people that I haven't seen— I know. —because of that, because we're all so spread out. Things have just shifted. Yes. And so hopefully some things will shift back because we need each other. We do. And I think that that's the thing that we forget as actors. And we are um, communal people who are coming together to storytell, right? And to reach the people in the back of the theater, to tell the story on the stage, to reach the person who maybe doesn't understand why they're watching this, but uh, they can escape for a couple of hours. But as actors, we, I believe it's better to storytell together. Yeah. It's harder to do it on your own. It's harder to glean energy off of you know off of somebody else. Yeah. You're yeah.
1: really making it up. Yeah. You know for now we for auditions you're imagining so much and then you you funnel it out through your tiny mouth. You know, you don't have your whole body to express right everything, emotion, whatever, but yeah, you you have to just use your imagination so much more and then it can get tapped out. Right. So right. it's exhausting. Yeah. But it's so much better to work with people. Yeah. And then you get something back or you get to joke around. And then it, it just makes it all so much more magical, yes. I think. So, and that's why we stay in it. Exactly. Yeah. But the other thing, too, with like audiobooks, for example, mm-hmm. you have to generate that magic because you are doing the narrator plus all the characters. Yeah. So you're kind of playing all the parts, and then I guess the jokes are in your head.
0: <laughs> I well, I think that audiobooks are really very fun for that exact reason yeah. because you can sort of take yourself on the journey. Mm-hmm. Oh. So you're also an audiobook narrator as yeah. well. I didn't touch on that. Oh, yeah, that's Just okay. add it to the list. Yeah, the I list. do a
1: lot of that, and there's some series— that I do that I know all the characters so it's always great to really get in their heads mm mm-hmm.
0: can you name some of the, can you n- n- tell our listeners some of the books that you've done yeah
1: so i do um, linda castillo has an amish murder mystery series the kate burkholder series the first book i read um i i got it at the last minute and i was reading it overnight before we started the next day and i could not go to bed. I had to stay on the couch reading because I was so scared. And it's This is
0: the first one that you recorded? Yeah, that
1: one's so scary. But they're really great and the character development through all these years has been amazing.
0: Can you talk about what your preparation is for one of these audiobooks? For an audiobook
1: I read, I always read it Mm -hmm. and I use paper and I write down all the characters and descriptions about them and what, maybe what people say about them or if I think of someone in my real life of who I kind of want their voice to be like, I put that as a, you know, a a note. Mm -hmm. Also, if there's five main girl characters, I usually put medium high, high, low. Right. So you can
0: keep the same voice for each character throughout the book. Mm Exactly. And I try
1: to kind of map that out. So, and then that's basically it. And then I get it in the booth and I make the final decisions on... What they'll sound like in that moment, right? So I don't usually n- make up the voice and record it ahead of time on my phone or something. Right. I don't usually do that. Do you?
0: No, do, do those no. I I pretty much follow the same uh, formula that you do. So there's a lot of pre-preparation, so much. It's and the I same I write. Theater. I use
1: iAnnotate on my iPad. Yep. And then I I write. I just put their initials. So many authors. Everyone's name is Ethan, Elizabeth. Ellie. And I'm just, can you just use different letters for the first? Because I just write down the first letter. Anyway, I've never brought that up with an author.
0: And it's not the same when you prep for your animation work, though. Is that no. just you get the script when you get into the booth? Basically, mm-hmm. for the most part. There's some shows I've worked
1: on where we get it the night before. There's some great, the animation allows you to do so much and to be large or small or just all these different people or animals or whatever,
0: it's just so fun. Oh, the animals are great when you get to be animals. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's, I don't know, i it, it's so rare. I mean, you, you hardly would ever get to be an animal on stage. Mm-hmm. So it sounds as if, as you were, you know, Graduating grad school, and then you get into, you fall into, if I may say, voiceover in the the magical land of voiceover and uh, educational voiceover and audiobooks and anime and animation and commercials. In the in between times, how did you survive? Like, did you have side gigs along the way or jobs that weren't involved in the entertainment industry?
1: Uh, I haven't. Other than waitering mm-hmm. and cater waitering, mm-hmm. I have had jobs that could be in the industry. Like I did a lot of children's parties and face painting and all these. I was with a, a company here in New York where they had all these costumes and we did a lot of bar mitzvahs and all this costumed things. I did one time a clueless party where I was— um, <laughs> Whatever the Alicia Silverstone's character, I can't remember her name right now. Oh my gosh, but, I just totally but blanked. Me too. too. I just, but I was, I was that character. And so, and then I had to lead the girls on this mystery to find, I think we were trying to find her boyfriend. I can't remember. It was some weird <laughs> thing like that, but it was at someone's house. It, it was just a kooky, kooky thing. Um, it's now it's going to really bug chair. me. Share. That's it. Share, which doesn't make any sense. No. When you put it like that, but that's what it was. Um, anyway. But that kind of stuff I've always had. And then um, my daughter was born, Pokemon started in 1998, and we started recording that. So that's the first job I had that I kind of knew it would be a year, Mm -hmm. maybe, but we weren't really ever sure. The first time ever
0: that you had solid work, that you knew you were going to have solid work for a year, was about... 1998 and that was a, about how long after you graduated from your grad school program
1: a uh, few years mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so and that's been, a
0: rarity to find that you end up that to find the the job where you look at the job and you're like wait that's a con- that's a full year well kind year. of
1: it it was never really set oh. so no job that i've had it's never been we're we're going to you're under contract for a year or I for see. x amount we th- we Didn't know if it would get canceled at any time. And they also always said, if you don't like it, we'll replace you. (laughs) So there was never any comfort in any of those things where you could just relax and say, wow, this is good. I I guess I can pay rent for a while because I can just relax. Right. Time to buy a car. I've never had that actually in anything. But my daughter was born at the end of the first season. So then I had a couple months off, and then we found out we'd have another season. So in my in-between, I just, I was always a mom. So I've always been going on field trips or, yeah. you know, whatever. And I, I've i been able to kind of tailor my um, schedule around my daughter's schedule. That's so. the best. It really worked out. Yeah. It was, I, I have to say, I've been incredibly lucky, but it took a lot of work on my part and my daughter's part. Right. So to just figure it all out. And it's just, I think our lives are a giant puzzle anyway. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely some pieces in the puzzle.
0: Right. I, it, I mean, life is definitely a puzzle, but it mm. it sounds as if you didn't try to make the pieces that weren't going to fit, fit. Right. Yeah. And that's part of it.
1: I think so. I think I would have pursued for sure more theater or film, but I didn't have time to rehearse. Once she was born, I could only do stage reading or Mm -hmm. I would do Christmas Carol every year or things like that. That took. You could be home at night. Yeah. Yeah. Because she would have had to go to the theater with me. Right. If I had a show. Right. So it was, yeah. So things just kind of worked out the way they did.
0: Right. And they funnel you into. A certain direction. Yeah, it sort did. Of it it that's what happens a anyway. A happy win, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And were some of the early animation wins, so to speak, were things that convinced you to sort of stay on the the roller coaster, even though you knew in the back of your mind that nope, this is it. I'm this is who I am. I'm doing this no matter what. But when you start to hear some yeses when you start to be able to pay your rent. Yeah. Uh those are really special moments when you can be like, yeah, uh I'm I'm here and and I'm staying. And would you say that it's that early animation work that led you I to that? I
1: don't know. I think I've never made a decision. Mm-hmm. I think I've just kept working. There's always a scramble to just figure out what the next job is going to be. So, and to just always Try to do your best so that they'll have you back. I don't think I've ever thought, "Yeah, that's pretty good," or I, "That was great." I think I've made it, or I kind of, you know, I don't. I don't think I've ever had that. Yeah. The interesting thing is that I go to a lot of comic cons, and I can see that a lot of the work or shows that I've worked on, um, people have watched, and that's a really interesting experience to see how it's affected their lives. Yes. And that, I think, for me, it's a gigantic honor because, um, you know, you you go to work, you give your 100%, and then you go home. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there isn't, you get no feedback mm-hmm. um, for a cartoon, for instance. You just do it and leave. And so to hear people's stories of growing up or going to their grandmother's house to watch every day after school or um, you know, getting up early on Saturday morning, those kind of things are are really amazing. Mm. And just to see that that something people could relate to something you've worked on. I just feel so honored to be a part of someone's family in that sense. I'm the bridge to their nostalgia. So in a sense, it's not even me that's that they want to talk to. It's that memory that they want to come back to. So even there, I don't feel like, I can pat myself on the back and say, hey, you, you did a good job. <laughs> you did, it's not really me. It's the yeah. whole thing that I was lucky to be a part of and lucky to have kind of filled it out, you know, stepped into the shoes and gave it some life. Wow. So, I don't know. It's I think as an actor, you're just, you don't really matter. It's what you do that matters.
0: You just step into the life yeah. of the character, whether yeah. it's, in the audiobook or in the in the animation character or on the stage film tv etc yeah. you step into those shoes and then how they react to that it's character is none of your thing. business yeah. really
1: yeah so i don't really ever feel like it's um, a huge congratulations but i just hope to work again mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's the main thing
0: and then how have you managed? I know we touched on it briefly, and I just want to go back because it's so important and it's so tricky and it's so overlooked in this business what women go through mm-hmm. to balance a career and motherhood at the same time. And so, how did you manage to be sing- a single yeah. mom yeah. and raise a beautiful daughter and also have this? thriving career as an actor how did you balance
1: that yeah I don't know I think I think a lot of it is that you you can't have an ego at all because you just you kind of again you you serve the project at work and then you serve the child at home, <laughs> Yeah, you know, kind of, because it doesn't really matter what you do for work or how many people liked what you did or how much money you make or don't make or it, nothing matters because once you get home, you have to help with homework. You've got to make sure that your kid had an okay day at school. You've got to do make dinner. You've mm-hmm. got to just do regular things because kids don't need you to talk about yourself. They just need you to be there for them, and in in that way, I think acting is the same. You have to be there for the project, and then, you know, as soon as your kid goes to bed, then you do all your other work. Yeah. You know? So I don't I don't know if I if I balanced things. It's because my daughter was a co captain mm-hmm. because she really, even when she was really little, she we talked about things we. I explained stuff. She told me what she needed, you know, we, I, as much as a kid right. can do, you know. but yeah. But we really worked things out together. But you were a team, and you still are. We were a good team. Yeah, yeah, we work on a lot of stuff together. We travel together. I know she wishes she didn't have to live with me, but we, uh, we still work on a lot together.
0: <laughs> well, still. that's just the world we are in right yeah, now. Yeah, I know, and I know. It's so interesting to think of, in the United States alone, the stigma that we have, because I right now I'm living with my mom as well, and I live the town over from my dad. And to be back in so close, in such close proximity, uh, there is from the society at large, in our society only, I think, that notion that in order to be successful, you must move out of the nest. And I've been out of the nest, and I think it's really refreshing to hear you talk about the team mentality that the co captaining that you two have, that it wasn't, that it was very functional. And that's, so interesting at this point and in our society to say just because we're living with multiple generations under one roof or next to one roof or across the hall from one another, it doesn't mean that we're dependent on the other right. person in an unhealthy way. It means that we look at our community and we've chosen to keep these people close to us on right. our journey, and I think that's really special. And I think it's really special that uh, Rena notices that as well as you do. And I think it took me a minute to learn it because I, I think, you know, there's always that moment where you're like, oh, this is I know. it's not how originally this was supposed to, quote unquote, go. Right. But it did. And look where it brought you.
1: Yeah, it is. It is really special. And the other thing, too, is that we all learn from each other. You need multi-generational because you need to be around, quote, older people based on yourself. People older than you, people younger than you, because you understand how things were and you understand where things are going. Yes. And then you break out of your own habits. So you need, creatively, we need, we all need each other. Mm -hmm. So you can't just hang out with your peers.
0: Yeah. So you're bi-coastal right now at the moment between New York and L.A., Yeah. And do you, are you able to talk about what is next professionally for you?
1: Um, Gosh, I'm traveling a lot for Comic-Cons. For Comic-Cons. I'm working on a couple projects with my daughter that are kid-related. We're working on a a live-action show, maybe animated thing. We have a lot of ideas for things, and now we're figuring out what's the, what do we want to focus on, what's the next step. So that's what we're doing in our one-bedroom apartment, (laughs) squished together. and i have i have some audiobooks coming up i feel like i'm working on some animated things and some video games but it all working at home it all squishes together right so it's hard for me to tell if i'm if the things i'm working on have just ended or if something's coming out i don't know but i'm i'm working on things
0: i want to touch on that but for comic con purposes are you coming in to represent a certain character? Is that how that works? Um, Are I you Sailor Moon, as myself, Sailor Pluto right now? Yeah, I play Sailor Pluto.
1: I'm invited, and a lot of times people come to see me for certain roles that I've played. So I don't represent a show when I go. Some people from other companies, they go as a group or something. Oh,
0: okay. So you may, you may sit on a panel and people will ask you questions as... April O'Neil from Ninja Turtles, right. all the way to Sailor Pluto to anyth- Ash Ketchum is the big everybody. Ash wants Ketchum. To, everybody wants to talk about Pokemon. Okay, it's still big. It's still big,
1: mm-hmm. even though I'm not on it any longer. It's still big. But they still want to talk about it. So you go and you represent all of these. Yes, fantastic in a way. characters. Yeah. So I bring do. all my pictures. People come up and talk. We chat, hug.
0: It's all good. So great. Yeah. Oh, that's so. So cool. it's been
1: terrific because it's taken me and my daughter and myself around the world. Really. Where are you going next? It's so joyful. And certainly, Comic Cons have changed my life because of the joy. We're going to Cannes to, for a MIPCOM where we're pitching our projects. So that's soon. Oh, that's very cool. Um, yeah. This year, I was in Australia. We have Dubai coming up and also Dubai. Yeah, New Zealand this year. Wow.
0: Tell me your favorite Comic Con moment.
1: Oh, my gosh. So I did the first. The first big traveling. I did Comic-Cons in New York, Mm -hmm. smaller ones here. But in 2002, I went to New Zealand and Australia. And in New Zealand, I met many small children. But recently, I've been back for 20-year anniversary. And I have seen a couple of those 10-year-olds that I saw in 2002. I've seen them back with their children. And just, I can kind of recognize them even. I've I've seen people through the years that that I know. I, I can recognize them with masks on. People that I've met in 2014 and I see them now. Or, yeah. you know, I've seen kids. Oh, I'm in high school. Oh, I just got out of college. Oh, I just got married. Oh, I just got the job I want. Here's my kid. Oh, wow. All, I've seen them along the way. Incredible stuff. That's so cool. It's, as an actor, to be welcomed into people's families, to have this other life that I didn't even know was possible, just from doing something I I love or feel like I was meant to do. Yes. It's, again, it's the biggest honor of my life to be part of other people's lives. And it's been amazing, (laughs) really amazing.
0: Well, Veronica, this has been just like the most inspiring <laughs> conversation that I could have ever asked for. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast to talk to us, to tell us your your journey and I just can't thank you enough for joining us.
1: I I have always and am still your biggest fan. So (laughs) this has been amazing for me. You are, you are amazing. So thank you. Thank you, thank you,
0: thank you. And it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you too. This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Veronica Taylor, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai and recorded by Michael Bader. Content editing by Neve McAuliffe post-production by JMM Latam and mastered by Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic.